First they came like. for first they came for our idols. Now they came for Space Jam. <laughs> it's a shame that LeBron James would sell it to advertising like this. <laughs> I do like how quickly the Lola Bunny conversation confu- uh, consumed the barely there controversy about Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> also, Pepe Le Pew was like mad problematic, like actually in his original. That was his whole thing. Original form. His whole thing was I'm going <laughs> to take women against their will and make them. <laughs> and I mean, Space Jam too. Space Jam is just branding and Pepe is not good for the brand. That's all it is. <laughs> Gotta go. Gotta go. Plus he smells bad. That's what I hear. Warner Bros. has, like, six films that are just parading all the IPs they have. They're the most insecure of the major film studios. There's actually a scene in the movie where they fly through, in Marvin the Martian spaceship, they fly through all the different uh, worlds, like, in this uh, fucking algorithm uh, galaxy, and it's, like, Game of Thrones world, and it's, like, uh, DC Universe or whatever, and it's uh, you know Toon World, and it's it's all the all the worlds messed into each other. So you saw I mean, this already. You saw it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. And I think the most depressing thing was when I was just looking at the RYM page, aside from the comment box, which is always the most depressing thing about looking at any <laughs> RYM page, was when I saw that uh, Rick and Morty have a cameo. Had a cameo. Yeah, scene. they did. They, they, well, they throw was... they uh, they throw the Tasmanian devil against the spaceship and they say he's your problem now and that's the cameo. Oh, irony! <laughs> Funny irony. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Living I'm... Off Borrowed Time podcast, part of the Space Jam universe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I go meet one... Daffy. I have one more Space Jam two take, a film which I have not seen, and then we can get down to business. I've heard that characters from Ken Russell's The Devils which is a non-sploitation film that Warner Brothers technically owns, but hasn't put on streaming uh, because it's fairly X-rated. The, the nuns from that movie are in the Space Jam 2 audience, despite Warner it's Bros. True. paying no mind to this film <laughs> over the past 50 years. That is a real fact. They're also joined by other audience members such as King Kong, who gets really mad that when someone on the other team talks shit about him, even though he's in the stands. I it's knew. A real, it's a real thing. Also, <laughs> Don Cheadle is, is the villain, and the villain is an algorithm. I knew the drugs from Clockwork Orange were less problematic than Pepe Le Pew.
faster. Living off borrowed time, the clock ticks faster. Oh man. All right. Yeah, this is a Living Off Borrowed Time podcast that is mostly about serious cinematic discourse and occasionally about hip hop. We are joined this week by our good cinematic friends, Zach and Hector. Zach and Hector, say please say hi. Hi. What's up? This is Zach Cause. Happy to be here. Hi, I'm Hector. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we actually have been doing something during the pandemic in order to foster community that was um, thought of by our good friend Hector here and that I tried to colonize in the spirit of America and say it was my idea, but it was actually his idea. And uh, Hector, would you please explain for the people what we came up with in the Cameron server? Yeah. Um, so we watch movies every Saturday. Oh, no, <laughs> I was just going to say the concept, and then we're going to kind of... I think what we're going to do is, like, um, I guess just explain that, like, we're going to do a move plan. Yeah, I guess... I fucked this up. I actually even fuck up the intro when I don't fuck up the intro. It's amazing the amount right. of intros that we have to. I talk. got it. I got it. If you like genre films of questionable esteem and the occasional new Hollywood classic, almost every Saturday night we congregate in the Discord group chat to watch a strange film of some sort. Like I said, normally pretty disreputable as voted by chat members. And that can be you if you're interested. You can have a voice on which films we watch in our community chats and are then routed into the podcasts to generate endless content. And our producer always tries to suggest a Godzilla film and it never wins. <laughs> yes, right. Godzilla seriously got bodied by Shockma. <laughs> also, also by to... The Naked Gone. And <laughs> I wanted to actually I sort of have a somewhat serious point about the um, what I realized about kind of this uh, movie night series that we've sort of uh, been doing I feel like and I don't know if you guys feel the same way but I feel like there are to me there are like stages in and this is an extremely pretentious term but there are stages in being like a cinephile or whatever you call it where it's you start out and you watch like all the ones you're supposed to watch and then you, you know, watch, you branch out and you just don't watch Western movies and et cetera, et cetera. And at some point you hit a stage where it's like, I just want to watch B movies or exploitation movies or, you know, weird sci-fi and horror that no one's really seen in 20 years. There's like that sort of stage. And I feel like this, uh, for the most part, movie night represents that stage where we're just... <laughs> You know, there's, there's most people. Love, we love movies. We we enjoy watching many of them. We we like, you know, some of the classics. But sometimes you just got to watch a great, a great B movie or a great horror movie where a monkey kills a bunch of people in a hospital. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, it took long enough to do it, but when he did, it was great. <laughs> I mean, they only had one setting, so they really had to spread it out. <laughs> I, I want to was... say something about, like, uh, when we started doing it, I, I, I was doing the same thing before with, like, uh, a group of my friends, of my IRL friends, I guess. And we had, like, this really bizarre experience of watching 
uh, a silent film, which is He Who Gets, he Who Gets Slapped, which I, I think is uh, directed by Sjöström, and I think Lon Chaney is, is the, the star of it. And we, we all just had like a breakdown <laughs> watching all that sort of complaining about our lives and watching this clown get on over and over <laughs> by his boss and his wife. And then, uh, yeah, it, it was just extremely cathartic. So doing that o over, over the internet was, uh, sort of really special. So when we sort of couldn't do that anymore with my group of friends, I thought it was a good idea to do it on the server and it's worked, I think. I would agree. And so how do we want to do this? We want to do that. I guess it would probably be best to do this chronologically. Cause I, I mean, I think we can pretty much all agree on what the best one is, but I think coming up with an order would be a little hard, especially cause we, all of us haven't seen all of them. Some of us have had to dip out of certain weeks. So maybe we should just go chronologically. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. I have them all listed. Yeah, that works. yeah I mean, uh, Hector's come up with a very uh, useful list on RYM, so we can consult that and uh, start from the beginning here with uh, the Space Leprechaun, which unfortunately I did not have time to see. I was not here for the first week, but um, I'm sure it was a very quality film that had a lot to offer, so you guys can speak, <laughs> speak on the Space Leprechaun. Hell yes, Leprechaun 4 in space. Uh, of six. I believe there were six space... <laughs> Six Leprechaun movies, or uh, he did go into the hood at some point. I do know that. Yeah, the, there yes. was, I think, four <laughs> Leprechauns, two Leprechauns in the hood, and then a remake in 2015. See. After he conquered space, he was able to conquer the hood. Yeah. <laughs> there were six official Leprechaun movies, and then the freaking Sci-Fi Channel bought the IP, which I feel like the early 2000s were really the last time. Uh, these sort of direct-to-DVD horror comedies like Leprechaun made contextual sense, whereas the Sci-Fi Channel is... Who does these really try-hard Sharknado films? Uh, I'm incredibly uh, worried that we're going to get a, a quick Jerry note Springer cameo that, in Leprechaun versus Megalodon. A quick note on that, by the way. <laughs> fuck Sharknado. Fuck all that try-hard shit where it's fake bad. I hate that shit. Like... Snakes on a plane yeah. was okay, but it really set a bad precedent, I think, where it's just... That like, was the turning point. Bad. That's really... That was a tipping point. And, then and as always, like, blame the internet. Bad, man. Like, it's just not cool. I don't like it. And yeah. it's it doesn't work. It's too ironic. It does not work. Yeah, I mean, Leprechaun sincerely wants to entertain, whereas all you can get at... All you get out of Sharknado is the same... Asylum tier CGI and cameos from Jerry Springer and Anthony Weiner. <laughs> and don't pay Anthony Weiner to do anything. Least of mm -hmm. all, be you know a politician, but also to be in your movie. Like fuck <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like that's just really false. Like trauma stuff has like trauma works. Snakes on a plane doesn't. I shouldn't have to explain to you why. I mean, Snakes on a Plane works too. Like, Snakes, Snakes on a Plane worked as a one off, but Sharks, uh, Sharks, Sharknado doesn't. And it's just feels false to me. I don't know. Sci Fi but Channel is but definitely. But Space, I feel like, probably was really cool. I didn't see it, 
but it sounds like the leprechaun was in space. He probably wanted his gold again. I don't know if cool is the word. But, <laughs> I mean, it was probably trash, but I mean, I'm sure it like had its moments. But it really bad credit, CGI. Credit where it's due. Leprechaun managed to beat Jason Voorhees in the space race by four years on probably a 15th of the budget. <laughs> I mean, yeah, shout out to Leprechaun for beating Jason Voorhees to space. And the Jason in space movie sucked. Yeah, even if it does, is blessed to have a David Cronenberg acting role as perv doctor. Or was it perv professor? It was something perv. It was either perv doctor or professor. But either way. That's pretty much the lone saving grace of this borderline fan film that closes out the Jason franchise. Yeah, that was the last Jason movie? Was Jason X? Was, uh, wait, was it Jason X or was it Jason versus Freddy was the last one? Yeah, that was... I mean, honestly, Jason Goes to Hell right before Jason X was kind of the last one before it entered sort of IP purgatory. And the... Well, then I, they did the, the, the fucking <laughs> 2009 remake type thing. Yeah, I didn't count. Nah, whatever the fuck, man. I can't believe yeah. that movie has a Michael Bay production credit, and it's that I did not ring. know that. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks, though. That tracks. Um... Yeah, yeah. I, I unfortunately have not seen uh, the Leprechaun uh, franchise, yeah. but I, I did want to say that I, I'm, as a uh, film poster aficionado of sorts, this is definitely one of the better ones that we're dealing with today uh, yeah. on the show. This is, I love the, the shade of green that the four is in, uh, the lightning coming out of the fingers, my guy looking like... Uh, he he's looking like if uh, Emperor Palpatine went to Notre Dame. Um, and even even well, this <laughs> even the strange decision to name it Leprechaun Four in space. Yeah, as an English major, just the colon, you know, the colon placement alone would have done the job. Maybe it's to remind people that they have to see Leprechaun One through Three to understand <laughs> Leprechaun in space in its and totality. Also, there's a really great tagline on this. One small step for man, one giant leap of terror. <laughs> I, I did oh, like the a marketing little... team. The marketing team came correct with that one. <laughs> I like that this basically had like no continuity. Like it, it's just a movie on its own. Especially yeah. now where every everything has to be like part of a cinematic universe. This was so such a breath of fresh air, I guess. <laughs> I was not put it past. Season of the Witch fucking bag on that Halloween season of the Witch. Yeah, they they never explained how Leprechaun got to space. He's just he's just there. I mean, to be fair, Leprechaun can kind of just do whatever he wants. I feel like if a Leprechaun movie had a hundred million dollar budget, I think the creative team would be paralyzed because even in this three million dollar film, Leprechaun has the power to. Uh, Teleport to someone's crotch mid-coitus to kill them for having sex. <laughs> Cut his fingers off and grow them back Freddy Krueger style. Change in size massively. Use... And isn't that like the biggest crippling thing about a leprechaun is that he's tiny? 
Like, <laughs> he's, like, supposed to be, like, a little person, right? Like, isn't that, like, one of the biggest things, of, um, no pun intended, about a leprechaun? Like, a biggest detriment is that he got over. He got yeah. over that minor setback. Huge. <laughs> He, um, he gets he gets like this ray which makes which makes him uh, giant and then he the first thing he does is he takes a look down his trousers and then he says oh he makes like a pun about his dick being gigantic as well um, I'm glad that we get some good dick puns in this uh, is there a scene <laughs> where there's an astronaut in his spacesuit and then you just see the spacesuit filled with blood <laughs> I'm trying to recall. It has all the other space horror cliches. Also, another thing I remember <laughs> that actually I think Zach commented on it was that this is like a real Starship Troopers vibe. Like the mm. all the subplot with the soldiers is like very um <laughs> anti-military, I guess, for for what this is. And it's, it actually predates Starship Troopers. So I think Verhoeven got some cues from this. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> I mean, the original Starship Troopers book is jingoistic trash. Oh, no, yeah. So it oh, makes sense I'm that Verhoeven would take more fascist. inspiration from Leprechaun 4. <laughs> yeah, Hunt was a huge fascist. So, like, I'm sure he hated the actual... Star- if he was alive, probably hated Starship Troopers. So... Because that was a parody of all that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect film, by the way. Oh, yeah. Movie. Starship all... Troopers five-star film. I, I think I have it at a four. It's actually a five. I, yeah. I need to up that. It's like Pretty that much. a lot. I mean, no spoilers, but I have knockoff at a 3.5 out of 5 because of Rob Schneider, but... Functionally, uh, <laughs> if you can ignore that, no it's a perfect film. I'm going to shit on Rob Schneider a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good assessment. Do we do I'm glad his dick is really big. <laughs> yeah. I'd be bigger that's than right. Shakma's. <laughs> Let's not go crazy about this. You know, I mean, Shakma's got a pretty big, pretty big dick. So. <laughs> I can't imagine. Why. Glad this is uh, <laughs> this is this is uh, great, great. This content. definitely deserves radio. to be premium this is the content. Best radio we've ever recorded. Yeah, I remember Hector was particularly taken with a certain thespian in the film, uh, the man behind the curtain, who's this android captain who sounds like <laughs> be an actor in Aguirre, the Wrath of God. <laughs> did, did he? <laughs> did he also want to uh, fuck his sister, like in uh, <laughs> the This is how he rules the world. This is how he wins. <laughs> this is our first, like you know, new fresh podcast on streaming. By the way, this is going to really like draw in the new audience. Set the tone. <laughs> Fucking leprechaun dick versus Shackma dick, and <laughs> this is great. Great. <laughs> it was right there. It was a real. It was a layup. <laughs> Unfortunately, the lesbian android didn't get that much backstory. Yeah, we knew, Patrick. You knew it was going to go like this when we opened the uh, the podcast up with a discussion of uh, Lola Bunny uh, controversy. 
Well, actually, that would be something Wyatt was into. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. Wow, just you're just gonna keep saying Wyatt on the podcast. Oh, back from the little peep episode. Yeah, it's, it was a great callback. You know, you you insulted uh, the Amy Rose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who Apparently, else? I was Character. not up on my female hedgehog lore. So. <laughs> oh my God, we're not going to get any new listeners. Not a single <laughs> fucking. No, no not after losing listeners that we gained. <laughs> yeah. Not after this one. Do we want to? Do we want to? But we're going to gain okay. some listeners of the film Arcade from 1993, though our yeah. second film. Absolutely. A this cinematic is a, classic. This is, this is a Zach pick, so you should. Why did you pick Arcade? I don't fully know how to explain this one, but I read some backstory that clarifies um, a bit more of how this film came to be. So Arcade was a Full Moon Entertainment, the studio that does shit like Evil Bong and all direct-to-DVD stuff, and Paramount co-production. And I don't know if it was once meant for theaters, but it's ostensibly an Elm Street cash-in plus 90s technological horror. And its ambitions may have been that simple, but as a final product, it is one of the strangest films I've ever seen. This is um, some disjointed-ass shit, dude. This is a really, <laughs> like, I mean, it's great, but it is just, it's... <sighs> it really, it's... I love this movie. I don't know, who, like, wh- who, who was the audience for this? I know. It's, like, they had to market it as a horror film. And tonally, the film even sort of plays that way with how horrified the teenagers behave. But they really overplay the Tron CG rather than any <laughs> of the Elm Street stuff. So, it's okay, like... Okay, so we have to discuss, first of all, Zach was nice enough to find the OG uh, trailer for this. Trailer. And they really, really went hard on the Tron before, <laughs> the point where they were told by the lawyers, you can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I honestly, if you showed me some of that light cycle footage from the arcade trailer, just as is, you could. I would probably infer that it was a snippet from Tron. I mean, the so CG ended up with was a third act that looked like a 3DO tried to shit out the third act of what dreams may come. <laughs> There's this. So, it's for those that aren't aware. Arcade is about a virtual reality arcade game called Arcade, as games are called, <laughs> that is infused with some of the brain cells of a traumatized dead child, and therefore imprisons teenagers who play the game and don't win. So, it's... It passes itself off as an arcade game, uh, which is naturally computer-animated. And while it delivers abstract visualizer animations in spades, there's a part as they're navigating arcade level by level, that, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe this is jumping ahead too early, but there's a part where they had to take out the CG to the lawsuit 
to the point that it's not even computer animation anymore. It's this kind of deserty location with a series of just completely fried by different visual filters to try to make it computer animated. And There's also one shot that <laughs> keep going back to whenever right before the kids get taken into arcade that looks just like a Windows 95 screensaver. <laughs> I mean, for, when I first watched this, uh, as soon as the opening credits came in, looking like a karaoke video, I knew that I was <laughs> in for something special. Also, shout out to child actor Seth Green for picking up the bag for showing up for like 10 minutes with the world's dumbest haircut. Yeah, Seth Green, who is kind of in it in this. Yeah, he's in it for like five minutes, <laughs> leaning up against the wall. And like, I don't even think Arcade takes him, does they? Like, he, I don't even think he gets sucked into Arcade, does he? I think, I think he dies off screen. <laughs> SMH. Uh, yeah, it's not the star-making performance from Seth Green that Idle Hands is, but he's there. I was surprised to see a peak Seth Green movie go direct to DVD, but I'm guessing maybe this film was enough of a production disaster that that was its natural destination. <laughs> there, And also it has a... I don't know. I mean, this will play to uh, noted chatter Ryan more than anybody, but Q from Star Trek The Next Generation plays the one scientist who tries to warn everybody about Arcade. In a lab coat. Computer scientist in a lab of course, coat. as yeah. all scientists are in lab coats. <laughs> yeah, I do not remember this movie at all. At all. <laughs> it is a bit paralyzing. It's like... Perhaps it, Hector was sucked into Arcade. <laughs> perhaps <laughs> truly inadvertently or maybe vertently immerses you into this sort of cyber dreamscape so it might have actually hit closer to the target than it would have if they were able to use the finished CGI I mean Do I think we, uh... this movie is like prime 90s trash it's about 90 minutes it has a bunch of bad child acting it has a bunch of really terrible CGI it has a bunch of tedious exposition scenes, but it's just it's it's a lot of yeah. fun in that sort of way. I think this and was the first movie I saw for movie night. It was a ton of fun shitting on this. I it's <laughs> like I recommend it if you're into that sort of thing. It's like a fucking Sega CD game came to life. I think yeah. like a bunch of cutscenes from a fucking digital picture Sega CD FMV game. It that has that strange. It. it has that strange blue hazy light that I always connect with FMVs. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like compared to other schlock films we've watched, Albert Pune, the director of this, really hits the accelerator in terms of exposition. Oh yeah, the exposition <laughs> of this is yeah, like it, the scene it, where it, she goes, where she goes to like her friend's house, and she's like, "Where's you know the guy who got sucked into the game?" And they're like, "What does it matter? He's sick. Like, who cares?" And like, <laughs> and like. He's he's been sick for a week. Like what? <laughs> I mean, this is just like what happened to your mother. Don't you know what happened to your mother? And <laughs> yeah, film is truly airtight. Given that the only backstory the protagonist really has is that her mother killed herself. Oh yeah, we have and... that, the very first scene. Yeah, like we get that scene that's like supposed to be jarring, and then they call back to it later with a bunch of clumsy ass exposition. It's it's great, and it also also pans out. I feel like maybe we aren't totally selling this film. I think it has to be seen to be believed. But 
that bit of backstory even pans out in this strangely ethereal, albeit borderline Elm Street plagiarizing sequence that is pretty much the only horror section in the film. Though, it's still fairly silly. <laughs> oh yeah, the thing about it is, is Arcade supposed to be scary? Because he's not <laughs> scary. Like, that's the I thing. Have to, he's not scary. I have to assume that it was meant to be, given that the arcade that Arcade sits inside of is called Dante's Inferno. Yeah, it's... And also, shout out to the weird chrome baby pictures yes. that are in the, in the lab where they made Arcade that are not explained at all. Those are the scariest things in the film. Oh yeah, it has a B-movie hallmark, which is just like having two or three stock photos hung up everywhere. <laughs> yeah, truly the only thing I remember about this movie is the Chrome Baby. <laughs> I mean, the Chrome Baby was immortalized in our group chat. It is. I, I was berated into making it an emoji, and now it's an emoji. <laughs> <laughs> so there you, go, there you go, guys. Yeah, in conclusion, Arcade must see. It's like yeah, in conclusion, Arcade has four stars. Yeah, fuck you if you don't like Arcade. <laughs> it's like one of, it's like one of Robert Rodriguez's green screen experiments, but fifteen years earlier and yeah, much more Robert charming. Rodriguez. Much more charming. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. It, it does kind of feel like a, a, a Robert Rod- has a, a sort of kind of like Robert Rodriguez exercise it's, feel. It's Spy Kids 3D is Nightmare on Elm Street. If that does something for you, go see it. <laughs> also, <laughs> having never seen a Spy Kids film, that feels strangely accurate. Yeah. Spy, Spy, Kids, Kids, <laughs> Spy Kids 3D cinematic ma- uh, masterpiece. Cinematic achievement. <laughs> I mean, as far as Rodriguez stuff goes, the characters don't talk much. That's good. A lot of the Robert Rodriguez films I've seen, that's good. And there's a huge (laughs) quantity of green screen trickery. So it's probably one of his better films. There's a, I forget which uh, Spy Kids uh, one that I didn't mind. They all run together, but I I think it was the the second one or the, I don't know. One of the first two. I wasn't actually (laughs) that bad. The first Uh, one has the thumb monsters. Oh, yeah. Second one, I don't really remember. I think Selena Gomez was in it. Yeah, Uh, maybe. (laughs) And then the 3D one has Mike Judge. Yes. And video game sequences that don't really understand how video games work. Well, the real real Robert Rodriguez uh, masterpiece is is Shark Boy and Lava Girl. That's the the one. That is the... I saw that movie when I was really young in the theater in 3D. I'll just (laughs) let you know. There was a so shark. Speaking was, of movies, how under who under yeah, speaking of films, how who understand how video games work? There is Brain Scan, which is definitely <laughs> how video games work. Brain Brain Scan, also known as the the COVID vaccine of movies. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> what the we all got we all got microchips watching Brain Scan. That, that, <laughs> right. uh, I, I must insist you explain how the fuck that works. 
Someone made a microchip joke, and I made that joke during movie night. So now I'm just gonna stick with it. So you, 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 you didn't hear I it. had, I had a joke so bad it was like fucking. It was, I said it was a Ryan joke, and then Ryan didn't even get the reference. So I'm not even gonna make it on the podcast. That's how bad the joke I was gonna make was. So shout Straight out to up. Ryan. He doesn't even listen to the podcast. We want to get that I didn't make. It. Straight but, up crickets going on. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't even make um, a fucking joke. I just want to I just want to give a quick shout out to Trickster. <laughs> Respect. Oh well, yeah, we'll yeah, touch yeah, on Trickster. Shout Trickster. I will say, Pat, that when we were watching the movie, you boiled down the moral of Brain Scan very concisely, which is that <laughs> boys will play Brain Scan but won't scan for some brain. That's so actually a call forward to our next episode where I will make an even hackier joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, especially that really hits home with the main character who, you know, wants to scan for some brain, but uh, ultimately can't, you know, bring himself to do it. Because right. the yeah. object of his interest will bring him down in life, you know, so. Yeah, uh, so. As all women scan. do, right? That's the whole. That's the whole point. <laughs> well, I mean, and just talking about this as a film, real quick. This makes a critical mistake for a horror movie. It talks too fucking much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So director, uh, director John Flynn, did like some new Hollywood films in the seventies, uh, written by Paul Schrader. Which and... is insane, by the way. If you ever watched it, <laughs> yeah. just think about that. <laughs> And this is most certainly a film where the director is at war with its premise. Because the one part of the film I can say uh, is slightly commendable is the first kill inside the brain scan. Yeah, that's a cool kill. That's first person, marginally tense, has like this Manhunter-style lighting. It's drawn out enough that it'll almost make you forget you're watching a film about a killer video game. And then Trickster shows up in any pretense of being like a arty slasher film immediately gets kicked out of the window. <laughs> I mean, I think a big problem this film has is it can't decide whether it wants to be trash or a deconstruction of trash or <laughs> it's it's just bo- eventually it's boring. Like I remember at the end of it, I'm like, wow, this was like nearly two hours long. And I think Zach <laughs> said this was 90 minutes long. <laughs> it was like a hundred, which is truly a bad sign for this type of film. Well, I mean, yeah, it shouldn't be a hundred. It should be 90 on the dot. Something like this should be 90 on the dot. <laughs> it this is. Shit yeah. This shit sucked. This is bad. This is the, I think this is probably, I'm going to scroll up, but I think this is probably the worst we watched for, for movie night that I saw. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. This is the worst we watched that I saw for movie night. It is strangely um, for sure. comatose for being a horror film that is soundtracked by White Zombie and the Butthole Surfers. Yeah, I didn't even really get Butthole Surfers off this. I did track some Rob Zombie in here, but I did not even get the Butthole Surfers out of this. I did not get Gibby Haynes out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It is very talky, which is, and it's very talky in a way where. Um, it only takes you a few minutes to realize the main character is not someone you want to hear talk. So yeah. it, it kind of just goes all downhill from there. I mean, there yes. are there are callbacks to other uh, horror, you know, um, films, 
um, or, or suspense films, but they're not really. I wouldn't say they're uh, tastefully executed. <laughs> yeah, you can just tell it's one of those films that radiates contempt from the director for the yeah. production that is manifesting right before his eyes. Yeah, the whole detective subplot is just useless. Uh, I'll leave with one quote from Mr. John Flynn, director of Brainscan, that I think really clarifies why the film doesn't work. Uh, the main interest for me was the trickster character, a cadaverous Alice Cooper-like entity who materializes from a CD-ROM computer game. The trickster was the core of the movie and what attracted me to the script. We found the stage actor, T. Ryder Smith, to play the trickster, and he was extraordinary. Eddie Furlong was a 15-year-old kid who couldn't act. You had to slap him awake every morning. I don't want to get into knocking people, but I was not a big Eddie Furlong fan. Which is a problem, because Furlong's the protagonist. Right. I was going to say, can we, can we have a Furlong conversation here? Because he's been... It's interesting, like, watching him in other things. Because I was like... His career after um, 1999 is uh, not a career. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was pretty well. There was some stuff there. I mean, I haven't seen it, but there's but there's some stuff where it's like he was at least in things. Um, All he's got right now is the Terminator IP, which the last it. three to four films have been widely panned. Right, and I don't even think he's uh, been in them so no i thought he was in looking at his wikipedia page i thought he was in terminator dark fate but it was just facial motion capture and one of your best they can say about you is that you weren't in terminator dark fate that's that's bad he was in uve bull's assault on wall street though (laughs) he was also in uve bull's attack on darfur (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck is that Uh, I actually, I actually really like Furlong and T two, which is probably a good oh no, T two is like, I will not hear words against T two. That's a that's like, a different yeah. story, only because I realize that I actually like Furlong more than the other characters in rewatches. But yeah, the, he's uh, he's good. Yeah. Can't say I've I don't remember him much in in many other movies. <laughs> I mean, granted that given that Furlong was at least in Terminator two. And John Flynn brought us brain scan. I'm inclined to think yeah, the director might be the one at fault. Like, I just want to move on, I guess. Closed casket for me. <laughs> so, Dead or Alive was picked by Ryan because I think he was trying to troll us and pick the uh, boob movie on a video game because that's what he thought it was and he didn't have to watch it. I accused him of that, but he denied it. But I'm adamant that that's what he did. But it was actually the Takashi Miike film, which was an ironic deconstruction of action films. And this is mid for like 90%. That's fucking amazing. (laughs) That's the thing about Takashi Mike. More than most directors. Am I pronouncing that wrong, by the way? I thought it was Mike. No, it's Mike. My bad. <laughs> the thing with Takashi Mike is you really have to trust the process. Because <laughs> his films can be kind of meandering, except for Itchy the Killer, which is full throttle, and Audition, which is just perfect. It's the perfect match. 
of his style of filmmaking and the story it's telling. But a lot of his films are very meandering and you could say indulgent, but you're guaranteed at least two or three moments that um, elevate it. I will say that even in its meandering moments, there were beautiful shots. Like, you could tell this was shot by a professional. It just felt like I was being jerked around a bit for a while. I'm just like, where's this going? Where's this going? And then in the very ending, I'm like, okay, y'all, you did your thing. Like, this was fucking awesome. Like, so it was, the payoff was worth the journey in this case. So it was cool. Like, I Ultimately, I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of like metatextual point. Like, I if the like the point might have eluded me on this one. It might have been superficial, but on a superficial level, it worked for me. Yeah, with Takashi Miike, he's all over the place in that regard. Uh, some of his stuff is pretty profound in its grotesque way, and then some of it's um, just fooling around, which is not a bad thing. I might be out of my depth in this discussion, but where does Mike, um in regards to uh, Katano, like, they were contemporaries, and I feel like they're kind of doing the same thing. Beat Katano. Mike does everything, basically. Like, one of the... Th- I didn't watch this movie, but one of the things I know about it is that it came out six weeks after audition, and two other Mike movies came out in between those... He's directed like 90 movies. <laughs> yeah, he's up to, yeah, I think he's, he's like, like 100 and something. He's like Viper of movies. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of his stuff, except he doesn't repeat material quite so overtly. <laughs> mm. You could argue about Mike's gangster films that there's some repetition, but he does not slow down his films and reuse footage like Viper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting until uh, episode coming soon. Yeah, when when I already have a, a, a viper a, a guest for the viper episode lined up. When we do that, when I'm I'm anticipating how it gets uh, how it gets sampled onto a, uh, a viper song. Uh, I want to hear viper clowning like my dumbass voice or something. Like make <laughs> yeah, a joke about actually be viper. sampled on a viper track. That'll be exciting. Yeah, let's do it. Like. <laughs> A Viper yeah. track that, like, 200 people will hear ever. <laughs> Living off Viper time. Oh, I actually don't know. He has the he has these videos where um, it's just one of his vocals mashed up with, like, a Yellow Magic Orchestra song or something. And I'm not sure if he makes all these mashups or if he just kind of gives his raw tracks to the public. Well, we've discussed this in the chat want. recently, talking about doing the Viper episode, and we think that it's just some guy on 4chan and he's kind of given like free reign, like he's in contact with them, and like he's in, you know, that it's got his approval, but he has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to ask Viper twice to outsource work. That he's getting paid off is all he cares about, like <laughs> right. he's slice. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to Mikay, who is almost the film game Viper. The only podcast where you will get a discussion that transitions directly from Takashi Mikay to Viper. <laughs> I'd say that Audition and Gozu are upper tier Mikay. Though I think mm-hmm. some people find Gozu 
to be um, a bit of empty shock value. It's very immersed in masculine sexuality, but some people think it's juvenile trolling, and some people yeah, think it's more I than guess, that. I guess that's kind of common with Mickey. Uh, I think Ichi the Killer can definitely like be read the same way, but like either way, as a as an stylist, he's very good at what he does, even oh, no. in the uh, in the sort of major. You know, he he remade Harakiri and Thirteen Assassins, and those are movies that are very like polished. But even then, you can tell like uh, it's uh, you know it's an actor, I guess, that's yeah. directing those. And the other thing that that it's that about their life that I want to talk about is that uh, the main guy Shoukawa, who is you know like a big time actor, I guess, or who starred in a lot of these movies. Uh, during the late 90s, early 2000s, I think he's the star of Gosu as well. I'm not sure, but he he's the lead in Eyes of the Spider, which is one of the best movies from that period in Japan. Which is also like a deconstruction of gangster gangster movies, mob movies, yakuza movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that we picked this, and then later we would get. Uh, the John Woo hard-boiled, which is kind of what set the cliches that Mike would be deconstructing. Mm. Sort of. Although that's film still the high-water mark. Oh, no, yeah. Like, like, it's definitely... Like, that's my favorite film is, that we did in this entire thing. <laughs> like, I love that fucking it's, movie. So. Hard-boiled is not a film you can tee off on. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, I think when it comes to Mike, I've actually only seen Audition, which was... Uh, excellent, but I have to... Uh, Audition really has nothing to do with any of this. No, no, it does not, but I was concluding the Mike discussion before <laughs> before you tried to transition. So, yeah. yeah, It's a great film. Just to close out, uh, I think 13 Assassins, which Hector mentioned before, which is a quite handsomely made picture, was kind of his last major profile film um he's done a lot of mercenary work like i've heard terraformers which was some adaptation he did was like pretty apathetic work from him but he's a hundred films going strong and he's still guaranteed uh, at least a few films per decade that are quite interesting Hundred films suggest fucking nuts work ethic. I got like you know we're a podcast. We respect Gucci. We respect currency. Like we respect the work ethic here. We respect Viper. So shout out to Mike for just doing his goddamn thing. But yeah. So moving on though. Um, rest in peace, DMX and uh, Cradle to the Grave. I was not here for this one, but uh, y'all were, and I'm sure this was a good. Maybe film? I don't know. Cradle to the Grave might just be me, in which case I'm going to have to speed through it. I don't know if Hector or Optimal has watched it. I did yeah, not I, see it. I, I was the, one of the few I missed. Yeah, I watched right. it. I've actually watched this twice, uh, right? Like a dozen times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had a personal engagement at the time of this movie. I was not here for it. I wanted to be yeah. because the, the night we did this movie was the night that DMX passed. So again, rest in peace, Earl. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I don't know. Like this was in the period where DMX was doing these type of movies. Yeah, this one, Exit Wounds and Romeo Must Die were all from the same director. So I'm 
assuming this was some lucrative partnership, uh, I can now clarify that uh, by default, I haven't seen Romeo Must Die. Really? That has one good, that has one really cool action scene where they do a football game, and it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I don't remember anything from it. But by there. default, Boz Lerman's Romeo plus Juliet ha- can only be the second best. Uh, uh, Boz Lerman's true. Romeo plus Juliet is a dog turd. Yeah. yeah. So, Just in general. Thankfully, it is by no longer being the only Romeo and Juliet adaptation set in California that I'm aware of. It can be dethroned by Romeo Must Die, which I can assure you, having only seen the Boz Lerman one, Romeo Must Die is the better movie. <laughs> in my best J. Cole voice, the only Romeo we acknowledge is Romeo Must Die. <laughs> Boz. So, Cradle to the Grave is mostly fairly rote. Um, I thought the the action scenes were fairly pedestrian, very quickly cut. Uh, you get your Anthony Anderson comic relief. Get a lot of racism and homophobia. Always good. As part of the comic relief. Um... One thing that I did admire about it is the... I forget what sort of serum. I don't know. Maybe Hector can um, fill in the blanks on this one, given that he's seen it almost a dozen times. I forget what serum they're fighting over. COVID vaccine. I think it's like nuclear bombs or something. Yeah, okay. But that ending, the... When the enemy, one of the enemies, sort yeah, of melts he's, he's from melts, melts from the nuclear power, and it's this ridiculous deep fried skeleton computer animation. I feel like that's not the type of payoff that they would drop into a mainstream action film anymore. There's much more pretense of being grounded. That sounds like some Dragon Ball Z shit. <laughs> <laughs> Although no one ever died in Dragon Ball Z when I watched it. I didn't really watch it, but it was just like 70 episodes of people talking about dying and never dying. <laughs> I think the... We're not getting into any discussion of Dragon Ball Z, by the way. I'm just saying that's <laughs> you know, never. But anyway, it just seemed like that was some sort of animation is what I'm saying. That seemed like like cartoon shit from what you're describing. I get what you're saying. but Yeah, that's not... It's not something... I mean, granted, part of it was how sort of rudimentary the computer animation was back then. But, um... They don't really drop something that silly into an action vehicle anymore. Now it's just straight tedium, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson skyscraper. Right. (laughs) This has, this has, I think, the uh, needle drop of XCOM give it to you is great. But, like... (laughs) Oh yeah, the the best yeah. part is X riding an ATV to X going give it to you. I do think we need more rap, new, new, yeah, more movies where rappers star in them, and then their song, their singles play while they have action scenes. Yeah, I mean they're not going to hire Ti anymore, so we barely <laughs> even have any acting rappers right now. It's yeah, just you, you can't really do that with Lil Lucy or. I, I don't know who, who would be like the new 
I mean, like, right to transition rappers to. don't even have like hype singles anymore. Like Lil Durk does fucking auto tune singles now, so you're not yeah. gonna have a fucking like hype ass. Yeah, they 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 don't they really don't make them like they used. To. <laughs> I feel like Uzi's maybe one of the only. I was gonna say, are we? It's like that mainline one of these films. I could this is the most get off my lawn moment we've ever had on this podcast. Where are the rappers who make songs you can be in movies with? <laughs> Where are the rappers that star in movies? I right, mean, that was, yeah, that why was... didn't Waka Flocka ever get a fucking straight to DVD movie? <laughs> Gucci, Gucci directed a movie, but it was after his. Why was didn't Waka Flocka and Gucci ever Look. get a movie where they were like kicking people's asses? <laughs> Someone awesome. <laughs> someone mentioned Not offhand. Not Gucci ever kicking anyone's ass, but still. <laughs> someone mentioned offhand in a comment box for at Army of the Dead film that it was an obvious ripoff of Dead Heist with E40, Big Daddy Kane, and Bone Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> and have now been interview- introduced to a must-watch. Also, now I'm picturing the three of them in a Humvee kicking people's asses. Another great straight-to-DVD movie that should have happened. Yeah. I mean, the last the last essential thing about Cradle of the Grave that must be noted is they crossfade X Gonna Give It To Ya with Saliva's Click Click Boom during, <laughs> <laughs> during the ATV scene. But thankfully, X Gonna Give It To You is on the soundtrack CD and Click Click Boom is not. They cut that shit. Making the important choices. <laughs> but yeah, Cradle to the Grave is a bit of a pedestrian, but still in the context of 2021. I mean, Odd y'all picked had too for the DMX <laughs> Memorial Night. I think you should have picked Exit Wounds, even though Steven Seagal is a problematic person still. Yeah. But. Speaking of problematic people, Rob Schneider was in the film <laughs> Knockoff. <laughs> Oh, man. We've all thought about counterfeiting genes at one time or another, but what about the victims? The problem in 1998 was counterfeiting genes. (laughs) (laughs) I watched, per Patrick's mention, I watched the Simpsons episode about counterfeit (laughs) genes. A car hole. A car hole. Notice that the counterfeit jeans operation does disappear at the end of the episode, so I don't see why Knockoff can't be a sequel to it. I think the best thing about this is when te- like thirty thousand people just die in like a half second, like little mini shot. <laughs> thing about Knockoff is it's like one of these, I guess, cartoon action films. If that, not to sound condescending. Like, uh, the Crank films or Kung Fu Hustle. I, I really but, hope you're not about to talk shit on Crank or Crank 2, because otherwise we're really going to have a problem. <laughs> I'm not about to talk shit on Crank or Crank 2. However, Knock Off is, one of, is pretty much the only overtly cartoony action flick in the subgenre I've made off that is remarkably sincere. And that's what I find sort of refreshing about it. I do like its sincerity. The thing about it is, I just get taken out of it when the Rob Schneider does anything. I know. We get a Rob Schneider joke sex scene in this movie. That sucks. We get Rob Schneider actually, like, real fighting people in this movie, <laughs> and it sucks. I like, know. I can't. <laughs> this was, I guess, 
This was before he just became uh, Sandler crony and habitual L-taker. They were really trying to make Rob Schneider happen. And this is the biggest role I've seen him in. He's just kind of boring in Demolition Man. But in here, he does his best with his pervert routine to ruin the whole thing. I don't think he actually was supposed to, like, I don't think in the script it says pervert routine. I think that's just what he does. Yeah. I don't think there's, like, parenthetical do a pervert routine. I think he just, like, has it on him, like, as a person. Yeah. He, um, everything, like, there are some great action scenes in this, man. Like, the initial action scene with the bird, well, actually, I think that was, um, that, the, the, the birds, that's, uh, that one is, um, that might be. Why am I not remembering it? That's fucking. Uh, I mean, within the first five minutes of the film, there's a shot that travels through a baby doll's cyber eye, following the route of the explosive circuitry inside it. <laughs> no, I mean, oh no. The thing I'm thinking of is from the hard boiled, which was two weeks later. That was the thing in the whole where tequila does the thing. There are birds flying everywhere. But this is super indebted to that sort of film. I think because it's like Sweetheart. So it's got all of that to it. The problem is they try and Americanize it by having Rob Schneider stick it up all the time. Yeah, and Van Damme is kind of anonymous in it, but I think that sort of does the, doesn't hinder the film. I, I wish if Rob was as anonymous as Van Damme is. I wish Rob um, wasn't in it. Like, you yeah. just have, like, I don't just know. Just put margin. <laughs> yeah anyone else like i don't i don't care like the thing I mean, is like yeah like because the action scenes are super good like van damme is funny when they have to have him do banter the action scenes are really good the one on the ship at the end is amazing like the, the set pieces are super good and there's that shot in the end when the final fight sequence finishes where it's just a bunch of counterfeit jeans flying in the air in slow motion. <laughs> it's enough to make a grown man cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be condescending, but there are some visual choices in this film that no other film has attempted since. Like, it's so silly. It's such a silly... <laughs> it's an incredibly silly film. I love it. I love it, man. It's so stupid. <laughs> It's stupid, but very balletic. I, mean, I know. It, that's a very good way to put it. It's balletically stupid. <laughs> I mean, there's that... Schneider, though. Every time, like, again, there are certain scenes in this, like, again, the Rob Schneider, the words Rob Schneider sex scene should never come out of my mouth more than twice. <laughs> um, but there you go. There you have it. And there's yeah. also, again, a fight scene where he actually beats people. I know. In a movie like this, he should never punch somebody and never and ever he picks He picks someone up and slams them, which on a spiritual level, Rob Schneider cannot do. And <laughs> this is like, I don't know if we have any wrestling fans listening to the podcast, that's like Jimmy Hart slamming somebody. That's like fucking a manager, like fucking body slamming somebody. That should never fucking happen. Like, yeah. no. Bullshit. But I think just to make sure we're talking about Rob a lot, which might put people off yeah. from the film. Yeah, but no, he's really let not me assure you. that much. Every part that doesn't involve <laughs> Rob is awesome. Like the rest Yeah, of the I mean, there there is combat where the weapon used is a durian, the spiked custard fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. I was like fucking dying at some of the shit they were able to do in this. It's it's funny. It's and it's like ninety minutes. Like anyone else other than like if you can just like tune out the Rob Schneider parts of this is one of the best action movies I've ever seen. Even with Rob in it, it's really good. So I recommend it. Just pretend <laughs> Rob's not in it when Rob's yeah. in it. Rob's dialogue scenes suck, um, <laughs> but whatever. You can tune them out. So. I have to wonder if the film was released later on and didn't have Rob in it. They put if... David Spade in it. <laughs> but I'm wondering, critics over the past ten years have gotten way more populist. It's like how the first four Fast and Furious films, Armin which White are some of the better ones, got poor reviews. And then all the new ones, no matter. Oh, yeah. The Fast and the Furious <laughs> movies are all of a sudden, like, universally praised, which is weird, because they were always yeah. just, like, yeah. Yeah. There there was some turn in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where, like, Final Destination like, 5 got a good review. Like stuff, we should probably start praising it. So, I seriously think if Knock Off was released in the current critical climate, it would be vindicated. Oh no, no question. I think in the another thing that's kind of helped this like is kind of the last five plus years of like the letterboxed era, where it's like you see a lot of uh, support for previously like films that are were the, the reclaiming of like previously unsung films has has happened, and a lot of that is like a good bit of genre cinema. So. I do and agree on that, that note, I'm going to say if anybody, like the whole five people that are listening to this, watch Crank 2 High Voltage is the best action movie of all time. By far. Watch okay. Crank 1 first, though. Because it's you like really an incline. To, I mean, crank you don't need crank to, but like... I mean, crank crank 1's one. awesome, Crank 2's even better, and Crank 2 has the Mike Patton soundtrack. Crank 2 does have Ron Jeremy, though. Minor <laughs> I, don't, that's I forgot point. about that. That's a selling point for you. Depends who you ask. I, I forgot about that. I did forget about the Ron Jeremy scene, actually. Um, but moving on, because I want to cleanse my palate from Rob Schneider. I have not seen the next one on our list. Is Tulane Blacktop, picked by consistent winner Tristan. Tristan is a 1971... I don't know the genre. I believe this is noir. The the poster. It's like awesome. a. I mean, I'll let it, the it, others it's a, speak. But. It's really just like a road, like New Hollywood, you know, kind of vibes. I mean, it's a road movie. Probably be the first. It's like, sort of like Easy Rider. I mean, not one hundred percent, but contextually, yeah. Those are films. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from the movie is uh, it's pretty good, and every scene with a gas station involved in it rules. Wow. Yeah, this this is probably like my favorite movie that we've seen. Um, yeah, just definitely like, one of the more reputable ones we've seen. Yeah, probably. Like Hellman is just an amazing director as well, and it, he, I think he rewrote this movie from like the it had like a more conventional script, and he liked buried down to like the bare minimum. Yeah, this is really the bare minimum of, of dialogue. Yeah, and like it's like that's what makes the movie, I think, because it's anchored with like the performances of James Taylor, who the only movie he ever made, but he's so good in this. He's like in a really naturalistic way. He, I have a quote here about him making the movie. 
He said, uh, in 1970, I made a movie, the only movie I ever made. I've never seen it. It was a harrowing experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he's just like in this, in it's such an interesting performance. And the opposite is Warren Oates, who is like trying really hard, mm-hmm. both as a character and like as an actor. And Warren Oates is like... Uh, you know, like possibly like one of the greatest ever, and I, that juxtaposition is is amazing. I don't know. Um, I, I guess like the only comparison for like James Taylor's performance on this is like third cinema or like you know directors who just like people who are in actors usually in like movie set in rural settings, and like it's weird to say that about like James Taylor who at this point probably have like several Hollywood mansions or whatever, but like mm-hmm. that's what it is. Uh, shot beautifully too. Yeah, yeah, some really good uh, driving sequences too. Also, he does a good job of making driving look fun, but also like um, not, I don't say not too much fun, but like there's a process to it. Like these these guys are very particular about what they do before they even like get behind the wheel. Like the scene where they basically tell Warren Oates is um, um, the one where they steal the plates. Yeah, when they steal the plates. Yeah, yeah. That's a great. That's a great bit. Probably carries over from the westerns that he did. Yeah. Which yeah. The shooting. Is of is, course. Doesn't like very closely related. Yeah, uh, I'm looking. Man, all these new Hollywood. I don't know if Mont Hellman's actually... I don't know. Tulane Blacktop is classified as New Hollywood. But just like the brain scan director, I'm seeing that Mont Hellman had to eventually pivot to directing Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. (laughs) You stole my one thing I could say. Thank you, Zach. You stole my one fucking thing. Yeah. um, He did Iguana, which is like another genre movie, I guess. And he did Silent Night, Deadly Night. And both of them are supposed to be like, actually really good. So yeah. I'm curious. No, I don't think Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 is supposed to be that good, actually. <laughs> Iguana, though. Oh, Iguana. Iguana. Yeah. Do you have... I have not seen Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Do you have any experience any with Silent it, Pat? Night, I mean, they have their defense... <laughs> the Silent Night, Deadly Night series has its defenders i've seen the first four and i saw them not gonna lie in like kind of a marathon and they got wearying um the second one is mainly footage from the first one which is like an 80s horror <laughs> movie trope where they just were yeah. lazy about shit the third one was better than the first two i will say that he kind of re so the third one was the best of the series i will say that so he did something with it but i can't say i remember much about it so he did some, but I can't say I remember details. Yeah, if, out of the four that I saw, I did not see five. I gave up. I gave up on Murder Santa after four. I've heard that, that it's like an interesting movie, at least. <laughs> no, but I, I, I it's the best with the machine material he was given. I would say that he was given like a fucking Hollywood horror <laughs> script and the best he could with it. And I yeah. didn't know that was like an auteur director given that shit at the time. Yeah, so yeah. Hellman, Hellman always had like issues with like funding. Like the shooting, I think, is produced by uh, Nicholson, who's in it. 
is like the um, villain, I guess. And they had like falling out and they fell out over money and shit. And like with uh, Tulane Blacktop, he he also had like uh, issues with the producer because he, the script he shot is really bizarre, I guess. But but that movie was kind of a hit, I guess. So it worked out. New this is apropos of nothing, but a movie that I'm going to keep, like, that I keep remember, keep thinking of putting up that I never remember to is Night of the Iguana. Um, we researched that one. Or you can it's, uh, lay it on me. Robert, what the fuck is his name? Um, it's like a direct, it's our actor who only had one chance at directing. He was like this fucking alcoholic actor who was like an actor. Oh, John Huston. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, he, this like ruined his career, and I've never seen it, and I want to see it, and so I kind of want to keep suggesting that, and I never remember to when you guys do the poll. So, but I've heard it's really good. So, but it like failed the box office. So that's something I keep wanting to suggest. I've noticed that new Hollywood people having to pivot towards some sort of horror film is almost like a canon unto itself. I haven't seen Schrader's Exorcist film yet, which I've been told is... Was that two or three? Was that two? Dominion. Like, five or six. Oh, yeah. It was I've eight. seen... Yeah. Three is great. That's not really a hot take anymore. But Exorcist 3 is directed by the author of the books. And it is, in some respects... Um, it's more of a... It's more rewatchable than the first Exorcist. It's a very By different vibe. Niche podcast we've ever done. People, are just, <laughs> yeah, like John Houston, fucking Robert Mitchum. What the fuck are you people talking about? <laughs> this Watch is for Exorcist the true, three. If you have true film lovers, yeah, this is Exorcist three is good. It's very. I'll just, we're going off track because we did not watch Exorcist 3 for no. the... Um, no, I don't care if we go off track. It's fine. For the but. chat room. But Exorcist 3 is a very literary tone-wise. Like, it goes from strange comedy to very ethereal horror. I mean, more I blunt it's funny how the Exorcist series went where... Like, why is the Exorcist a series, first of all? Like, it wasn't supposed to be in the beginning. Like, it was supposed to be a, like, single statement. And then became a series because it was commercially successful. Yeah. yeah, there's such a funny—not funny. Well, sometimes funny, funny and interesting row of talent attached to the Exorcist films that I kind of just want to watch the whole series. I know Exorcist Two is mostly widely disliked, but I've heard people try to reclaim it recently. I feel like people will reclaim anything though, just for the sake of reclaiming it. That's true, but. I was told that if you watch Exorcist 2 from the perspective of, like, a giallo, which might just be empty phrasing on the reviewer's behalf, it becomes far more entertaining. I was so. told to the second Logic album backwards, it sounds better. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it would. But. All right. I was All way right, off so track. I'm going to DL to Lean Black Cup. Is... Why am I doing this with my keyboard? Uh, Next one's Detour. Detour, which I have not seen as well. That was picked by Hector as well. So, Hector? 
yeah, so I picked this because it, just, it was just in my watch list, and it was in my watch list because the director of this uh, is Edgar J. Olmer, who I was watching a lot of, of like Weimar Germany movies earlier in the year, and he directed like most of like most of those are ex German yeah, expressionism. He has a long filmography. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. For yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah, right, so he directed this like, movie that's kind of like a counterpoint to that, which is uh, People on Sunday, which was written by Billy Wilder, who, you know, lived the apartment and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then he, Olmer, ended up in uh, the U.S. because he was running from the Nazis, like a lot of directors, like Billy Wilder himself. And he ended up making a ton of B-movies. And Detour is a Poverty Row movie, which is like, there were all the studios, small studios making mon making movies for no money and releasing them as like, right, B-movies. And most of that is really formulaic, as I, I guess, but there's also stuff like this, which is interesting on, it, on its own. And this is like a really pure film noir uh very depressing very um, yeah it's very I've heavy on it. narration uh and with a really like comically evil uh femme fatale so it's yeah. really good i think i've seen it separate from the server from the cameron server and all of the shots of the road are filmed like they're the protagonist sort of personal hell or personal purgatory. It is, in a sense, in some senses, a very conventional noir. But um, first off, the memorable um, sort of sourness of the characters really distinguishes it. And... There's something almost dreamlike of how the film, how much of the road scenes are filmed. They really mine sort of the black spaces of the sky and road. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was very good. Um, <laughs> I I liked that it moved. It was super quick. I mean, obviously it's only like yeah. seventy minutes or something, right? But it's a uh, it was super, super quick, and it was probably, like, the uh, darkest B-movie, one of the darker B-movies I've seen, if you could, if you could call it that. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty... Uh, the, everyone is down horrendously in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, think, I think the, uh, the poverty that it was made in poverty were really bleeds through. And like, not to bring up the same points over and over again, but like you compare it to Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity, which was a movie made oh, for yeah. some big studio. I, I don't remember which one, but like he he went out of his way to make of the of the characters seem like worse people. Like he put a wig on on his lead actress to make her less attractive and to make her like seem more like scum. And then Olmer, who like his his all. Collaborators. I'm not my ass on this one, but I think the Double Indemnity Studio was the one that also screwed over Orson Welles. Um, yeah, it was probably. I wish I could remember which one it was. God MGM, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was probably it was either 
Was it MGM? Univer it was Universal. No, Universal, I don't think existed yet. Okay. No, ah, shit. Um, but there was definitely, but I feel like it was a certain studio that screwed over a bunch of writers at that time period who were trying to escape. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off on that, but I feel like I know the story behind that. And Wilder and Wells were not friends, but yeah. Yeah, this is a few years before all the Hueck uh, hearings and all of that. No, no, and, and Wells was not really involved with that. I mean, he was and he wasn't. Like, I don't think, I mean, he was interrogated about it, but I don't think he was ever really seen as a threat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, but where I was going with all of that uh, rant was that uh, you have double indemnity, and then you have this, which is like going for like the same thing, but it is so much more vicious and desperate, and like it feels more raw. And I think that's because it was made for no money on two weeks <laughs> with actors yeah. that weren't famous, and with this director who was, you know, also doing like three movies per year. And Savage, though, she yeah, she's really <laughs> dominates the film. Yeah, she's if I was to speak like a BuzzFeed journalist, she lives up to her last name in this film. <laughs> <laughs> but what I find sort of fascinating about the film is even for the time at 68 minutes, it's a very short length. And it's not like you feel the length, but it's such a heavy film that um, it really does feel comparable to longer dramatic pictures that come out now. Uh, I mean, at its core, the film doesn't set that many things up, but just the how the main character's psychology sort of develops and unravels over the whole 68 minutes, it's a substantial undertaking. Yeah, yeah. Overall, good movie. Really happy that you uh, you picked it, Hector. <laughs> so, we uh, we move into the best movie of the bunch here. We <laughs> are we just gonna? Uh... Detour and Hard Boiled are pretty even for me, but yeah, we can move into yeah. Hard Boiled if no one else has things to say on well, Detour. Well, somebody please save the goddamn babies. <laughs> Because it won't be the watch. Watch Detour. It's on YouTube, Wikipedia. You can just straight up go on Wikipedia and watch the film for free. Uh, watch Detour. Because it's not a film that uh, I see discussed very much outside of some sort of internet echo chambers. But it is definitely worth it. Yeah, I will absolutely check that out. I feel bad that I didn't check that one out. Um... But yeah, we should move on to the next film on the list. Definitely the film with the tallest reputation of the bunch. And the, yeah. definitely the least opinion of police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like not liking hard-boiled reveals negative things about you. I feel like if you don't like Hard Boiled, you can't listen to this podcast anymore. I feel like that's, that was what we were withholding that, that statement for. Correctly applied. 
Yeah. I mean, John Moore was a one-of-a-kind director. True, yeah. Let visionary... Until... Yeah. <laughs> until he went back to the Hong Kong industry in the 2010s, where sort True. of lack of inspiration and an abundance of CG sort of sucked the air out of things. But so many of John Woo's films are a feat, and Hard Boiled is pretty much the culmination <laughs> of all that. Hard Boiled gave birth to the 90s action genre, point blank period. Yeah, and I'm inferring that it was his crossover film because he did Hard Target a year after. Yeah, he went to Hollywood after this, I guess. Yeah. So I'm assuming. At least he got face off out of it, too, which, you oh, know, no question. Uh, podcast patron St. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> it was delivering one of the great performances in of, of the 90s, no question. Yeah. I mean, but you can't, you can't go wrong with a better tomorrow or the killer or bullet in the head. Oh, like, yeah. Hard boiled is like the one. It's like the monolith of um, that era of Hong Kong action films. There are at least five different extended sequences in this that you can just just fucking put in a goddamn frame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the stuff with the stuff, uh, the climax in the hospital. Will somebody please save the fucking babies? Where he's holding the baby. And still taking care of business. That's the kind of thing that the film industry and a lot of patrons of them have lost the ability to appreciate. Like, there's this strain for realism in action films nowadays. And in context of that, Hard Boiled is so refreshing. The thing about this film that I love is that it's so absurd in the beginning and the end is so much more absurd. <laughs> and yeah. it still works. Like, the end is this dude, like, hanging babies out of a hospital window. Yeah, the uh, two main guys just keep getting more powerful and everyone else and also just gets more and more always so incompetent. Yeah. The cops just suck. At every goddamn moment. I think John Woo was making a point here that the cops just fucking suck. And hey, you guys just wake up and realize the cops fucking are blow and are not <laughs> in your fucking best interest at any point whatsoever. They're just like fucking morons. Yeah, when the when the stupid uh, fucking when fucking the hostage situation ha- when the hostage situation happens, they're they are um in in the dark, have no idea what's what's going on, and then display uh, impressive levels of incompetence in their handling of trying to defuse the the conflict. It's uh, it's remarkably terrible. It's almost <laughs> like they should be politicians in America while pandemic is going on or something. Like Jesus God, like it's just amazing. Like yeah. We're we're, get, we're getting we're getting in the weeds. <laughs> yeah. Are we? Well, Are we though? Maybe. Or yeah. not. I just uh I mean that scene of the guy bending backwards and lighting a cigarette off the flaming car. Oh yeah, there's like yeah. immortalized online yeah. and it's only halfway through the film and the film still intensifies from that I repeat to my look. I quit cigarettes, but I will say that this film would encourage me to smoking smoke cigarettes again because there are so many good scenes of people smoking cigarettes in this movie. 
Rest yeah. Peace, rest in peace to my guy. That one of one of the best kills in the movie. Oh my god! Is is bro that uh, dies in the library where he has the the <laughs> gun? The gun is in the book. Yeah. <laughs> and you see the way blood splatters in this film is unlike uh, almost any other action movie I can think of. Yeah. It's remarkable. It's- the hospital kill where it splatters against the window is unbelievable, and it, it's like a silent gag. Un- yeah. Unbelievable. This dude has like Chaplin gags where people's brains blow out of their heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all it's all uh, visual, like you know, like physical uh, comedy. Nah, this is a fucking masterpiece. Five stars. If you don't like this movie, you can't listen to the podcast. If you like the cops, you can't listen to this podcast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, fuck you. Like, this is a fucking remarkable piece of cinema. Just everything about it is visually beautiful. Everything about it birthed 90s action cinema. Everything yeah. about it birthed all the cliches <laughs> of 90s action cinema. I think somebody outruns a fireball in this. Oh, yeah. An, an explosion, yeah. It is definitely one of the few action films where all the films surrounding it across the timeline are pre and post hard boiled. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is one. It is one of one. You know, no matter how much influence it did have, and John Woo is one of one. Uh, yeah, even even, like- even as his career has kind of went <laughs> off the deep end, but well, yeah. Yeah, the Hong Kong film industry, the mainstream, there's still great independent stuff, isn't quite what it used to be. But yeah, there, there was a golden age, and you know, not not as much. Although I will say that another thing that you know, in terms of inspiration, I mean, um, I definitely think that maybe not this movie in particular, but definitely John Woo as a director had an impact on uh, people like Wong Kar Wai, who's you know one of my personal favorites and a movie like fallen angels wouldn't exist without like john woo yeah it's such a monolithic film in terms of its influence and just sort of surface level quality like what do you even say about it it's hard-boiled go see it if you haven't and rewatch it if you have i i had not seen it i when i saw it i was not paying attention when i saw it again i did i loved every second of it fucking by far my favorite thing i saw on this project fucking nothing but good things to say about it yeah yeah it's uh it's it's basically you know a a perfect action you know action movie so don't we're not gonna say any bad things about uh about this one (laughs) and now a mid-level 90s programmer kiss of death Starring everybody. Richard Price's endings. Hey, Richard <laughs> Price, learn to write a goddamn ending. <laughs> I think this is like, for me, this was a lot like Brain Scan, where there's like oh, a part, oh, a part yeah. of the movie that's Ooh. that's really good, <laughs> and then there's like a bunch of shit that I don't care for. So I wonder if if Zach can find like a quote from the director of this work where. Where he, where he says, doesn't like the protagonist. <laughs> yeah, where he says like Nicolas Cage, uh-huh. he was the heart of this movie, but uh, fuck David Caruso. Damn he David. Actor just like stabbed this a hundred times. Like he just gave this a hundred yeah. votes. Like fuck. Yeah, 
Keep going, because we can get Michael Rappaport to film a Twitter video about us. I'm going to at Rappaport in the promo for this episode. <laughs> Please don't saw... do that. I do not want Michael Rappaport replies to this. Oh my god, I do not want Michael Rappaport I saw... I saw on Twitter that people were doing the monthly Lin-Manuel Miranda hate sesh, which is deserved. It's true. Rappaport not only recorded a video for his account defending Lynn Manuel Miranda, saying that the haters just hate themselves, he was in people's replies reposting the video. <laughs> that guy has way too much time on his hands. It's actually unbelievable. I mean, fuck Michael Rappaport, fuck Lynn Manuel Miranda, Miranda, and fuck the ending of this movie. Fuck Richard Price for not knowing how to write an ending. Um, this is not a bad film until the ending. It's not a yeah, bad genre is. film until the ending. Although David Caruso's acting sucks th- throughout, it really does. His I don't accent, even. <laughs> his My accent problem. sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. His accent sucks. His emoting sucks. He's not the right fit for the role. He was put in it because he was supposed to be like a good, like a fucking lead guy in 1995. Like that's why he's in that role. He's bad in this, but even like Session 9, which is one of his last films where he was kind of passable, anytime I see his face, I'm just put in the mind of prestige television and not film. Yeah. That's actually a good way of of putting it. (laughs) He always drags a film down to the level of Law & Order or whatever show he was on. No, this is Law & Order, dude. That's what I feel about this. The ending draws this down to Law & Order. Yeah. It makes it like snitching is good. Ultimately, <laughs> just tell the cops. Caruso simply does not have the balls attitude direction. <laughs> that Cage ponders about throughout yeah. the film. Caruso, although we don't want to discount, Nicholas Cage is amazing in this film. Yeah. Dressing all white like, like, like Akiyama. The first this time was, we see Nicolas Cage in this film, he's like in a white beater, like bench pressing something. Yeah, this is this is uh, right. This is the start of an incredible run for Cage, where he goes kiss of death, leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off, and then he does Snake Eyes. I mean, this is and eight mil- Snake Eyes, and, is really and he does. And he, after Snake Eyes, he does 8mm and Bringing Out the Dead. So this is an incredible, like, uh, five-year run for Nick Cage. Right. Like, 9mm <laughs> is up to taste. There's a, there's an, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's eight films in a row from yeah. Cage. Where it's just like heat check. And I will, I will go to the wall to Bring Out the Dead. Some people will argue against that. I'll go to the wall to Bring Out the Dead. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, Big Rames is fantastic in bringing out the unbelievable. dead. Unbelievable, he's so funny. Goodman yeah. is incredible in bringing out the dead. They unfortunately don't give Ving Rames much to do in Kiss of Death, but he's still handling. Kiss of Death has a ton of good character actors they don't give much to do. That was kind of the most interesting thing about the film to me, was just all the people that showed up. I mean, yeah, right. They just give a bunch of show up and either they go away or die. I mean, Stanley, Stanley Tucci is, is like... in it for like 80% Tucci's of the time. Tucci's in there as like 
Tucci so, might be the best gotcha. actor in this. Like he's like the sleazy lawyer. He shows up to do his sleazy lawyer bit a few times. Yeah, I thought the casting. Um, I mean, it's profoundly watchable, like these '90s programmers were. But I thought the casting. The ending sucks. The ending sucks. Most interesting thing besides Cage himself were the was the strip club that was playing Warp Records music, like <laughs> <laughs> Aphex Twin and shit, in Orbital. What strip club doesn't play Auditor? <laughs> yeah, big big fan of uh, big fan of everything going on with Cage and the the random uh, the tonal shifts where we go from. Uh, we're, we're like, oh, the movie's going to be about, um, you know, Caruso's uh, significant other. Oh, nope, never mind. She's dead. <laughs> yeah, Helen, we didn't pay for Helen Hunt anymore. She died. No, that was, that was a, as abrupt of a death as, uh, as you can get. <laughs> I'm told it's based on another kiss of death, which I've heard is better. The 47 but, one, the movie? Yeah, but has to be penalized a bit for not having Cage in it. Right, I just really on, on principle. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I don't think, I don't think Price would. Well, I don't know about Price. Like that's the thing about Price. Like he's written screenplays, he's written novels. He always writes shitty endings. That's what frustrates me about him. Even his books, dude. I've written, I've read every Richard Price book, and every single one has a shit ending. Every single fucking one. <laughs> I like the The Wanderers is the one I'm most interested in. It's a really good book, and it has an okay ending. So he got worse with time in that regard, because <laughs> it looks like The Wanderers was his first. No, no, The Wanderers is recent. Wanderers is recent, dude. Says 74 on the bibliography. Maybe we're no, thinking. The Wanderers is recent. I'm, I'm not. I can't litigate this. So I don't know. Um, I think you need to relook at your. I think you need to like, <laughs> like look at like squeegee your glasses or something. The Wanderers is like twenty something. My There's guy. not much litigation. The Wanderers was first published as a book in 1974. Damn, got him. <laughs> got him. I, I have no uh, dog in this fight, so I'm. No, uh, I'm just ready to talk about murder monkeys at this rate. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's work, let's talk about the murder monkey while I like look at this because that would be funny reading it because it kind of makes sense reading the book. But anyway, so that was kiss of death. Watch let's it if you want. Mur- let's talk about the murder monkey. <laughs> let's talk about the murder monkey. Yeah, Shakma. He's a Yeah, um, yeah. He, so he kills he kills people. That's it. He kills people that deserve it. Every single one of them deserved it. Yeah. So it's a bunch of it's a bunch of medical school students who want to play some D and D maze game, and Shakma hates nerds, so he kills, slaughters them all. That's the film. He also they also (laughs) tried to do something genetic to Shakma, didn't they? Like, isn't that why they first tried? Yeah. 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 Something. Something medical. Like, yeah, there was some sort of genetic, like, alteration. That's why they were, like, try and, like, you know, like, kill Shockma. And then it's like, you didn't kill Shockma. Why didn't you kill Shockma? 
It's been driven insane by an experimental drug. Right, yeah. <laughs> In my honest opinion, Shockma is about as middle of the road as a movie about a sexually aroused monkey killing a bunch of college students <laughs> <to> me. <laughs> I do think that premise in of itself does sort of carry the film to the finish line. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think this film has the worst potential here. Uh, okay, if you take this film on its face, it has the worst possible hero you could take. If you take it as the actual hero, it has a great hero. Because the hero is Shockma. Yeah. As the also, I'm gonna say Zach is right. This film, this uh, the Wanderers was published in 1974, and it was republished when I read it. So all right, there you go. Price book. Look at that. You both can be right. No, it was republished when I read it. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, Shockma killed everybody in his right. Um, there's this douchebag medical student who, yeah. And Chakma was right to kill everybody. Or try yeah, he's, to. The uh, romance, I guess, is very, very strange. Very disquieting, but luckily Chakma kills them all before. Well, he doesn't kill everybody, because eventually he, they kill him. All but one. No, but he gets... The guy dies at the end, the, the hero, I guess. Yeah, or, Zach Morris doesn't kill him. Well, Zach Morris kills him. It's the sort of film where its production is so humble. I mean, it's just that one setting and a lot of tiring banter and then the monkey releases (laughs) that much of the time I'm thinking about sort of the production rumors that were swirling around this film rather than the content. Like, there's so many testimonies about how they got this blatantly dangerous animal to act. And it's interesting how we don't see any death scenes in this film. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> like, if you look at the chats from the movie chat, I'm just bitching about how we don't see anybody actually die. <laughs> they do show blood eventually, but it's most of the monkey footage is just he is just Shakma banging against. You just hear Shakma shriek, and then you see a dead body. I'm just like, like yeah. why don't we see King Monkey killed anybody? I mean, like, this bitch shit. <laughs> but I realized that all any group of people would need to be able to film this movie is a highly dangerous monkey. I mean, everything else it's one yeah. setting. Um. Fairly cheap-looking blood and a lot of dialogue. They certainly had a lot of dialogue. It wasn't very good. Um, (laughs) I was thinking, if this movie took place at a sleepaway camp, instead of just a kind of anonymous med school building, the movie would be improved tenfold. I mean, you already have this horny monkey running around killing people. Why do you know he's horny, though? He just wants to kill people. Why did you say he's horny? He's not horny. (laughs) <laughs> Patrick is upset that you're ascribing horniness to this monkey. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I don't know about him being horny. I didn't get he that vibe. wants to kill. I don't know. Maybe he's just well hung, naturally. <laughs> that was why I drew that conclusion. Again, we go back to the monkey deck. Hey, you know. Yeah, we're... <laughs> we're, we're ranking all the, uh, all the leaks of all the characters in every movie at the end. 
did appreciate the attention to detail of having the monkey be overpowered by its urge to attack its own reflection in the mirror. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, the this ending is how gets... we get the new. This is how we get the new listeners, huh? <laughs> this is how we get the new listener. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what more do we have to say about Shockma? It's about a yeah. monkey that kills people. A horny people. monkey kills people. <laughs> really great trailer as well. Excellent radio, as always. Excellent radio. Horny monkey kills people. All right, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I feel like there's been some, uh, there's been some fatigue. Uh, <laughs> but Nemesis. Maybe. maybe one. I'm going to turn my uh, mic. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you do, do three you of us. Take see Nemesis. I've seen. I, yeah, I I've saw seen Nemesis. I've seen I, I, Nemesis. I saw it that night. Uh, Nemesis is probably Albert Pune's best film. Uh, director of the aforementioned Arcade, but um, a far more professional-looking watch, though, is always with Albert Pune. You have to give it some leeway. It's what's interesting about the film is he's all in on trying to build sort of the tech noir cyberpunk um, world, despite the fact that the he doesn't really do much with the environment uh, for budgetary reasons. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of this is in a forest, I think. Yeah, it's like a chase film, which Pune does a lot to save money and sort of add natural tension. Yeah, uh, this is this is like uh, this was made eight years too soon because if it was made in two thousand, they could have used Sandstorm, like they should have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I concur. Um, there's a lot of big guns. Uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good action, and there's just all uh, now this movie maybe unlike Shockma has legitimate horniness going on. That I will give, I will give this movie that. Uh, yeah. There, there's what's the there's the scene where the they're they're spying on the um, the protagonist out the window. Um, that definitely has, you know level so that there is it's funny it seems like it'd be his most commercial film but except for all the half naked people standing right. around right <laughs> just chilling. Uh, there's also some great uh, cg in this when they get on the plane and like they burn away some robots skin and it's just like a metal skeleton fighting the main guy i guess mm-hmm. There's a lot of stop motion too. I think it's computer enhanced stop motion. Uh-huh. And, uh, but it is computer enhanced. And if you're on the right wavelength, it's kind of it's quite entertaining to watch what might be the cheapest cyberpunk um, action film out there. It was very disheartened. Someone who's not Albert Pune made a fifth nemesis movie and it just looks like a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. 
the B-movie craft has truly been replaced by something far more insidious. Truly, yeah, video essay, video essay is the, the new, the new uh, B-movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nemesis is a pretty good movie. I I enjoyed it. Um, I'm it, told. <laughs> it feels like I feel like if it came out in like the late '90s, it would have actually had like a with maybe with a production a little bit higher of a production value. It would have. Uh, I feel like it would have been uh, would have done a little better commercially. Yeah, it's um, people sort of paint it as being ahead of its time. I'm not sure how true that is. But I can sort of see with stuff like The Matrix and how elaborate the action sequences are in uh, Nemesis. I can sort of see a thorough line from one to the other. So Nemesis, cop, good guy, or uh, no? (laughs) In the beginning, we, we really get the procedural stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it just, as as it goes on, it it morphs. It just gets serious of all of that. Yeah. And at the end, I, I I wasn't really sure. Like, I think I lost track of the plot at some point. Yeah, it kind of doesn't matter after like two thirds of the way through. <laughs> in yeah. my opinion, much but like it, arcade, I assume it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Albert. Yeah. All of the narratives in Albert Pune stuff is kind of breathlessly delivered. Which is um, which makes this V movie craft remarkably easy to watch. I know Doll Man has made the ballot a couple times, which is about a oh, he's inch. Doll Man. Oh, yeah, shit. I did not know he was Doll Man. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I think. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I enjoy the the really hilarious like procedural bits in the beginning that are just entirely stripped when he when. Toward the end of the movie, you know, he he sees the light, you know, who the who the real evil is. Yeah, there's <laughs> so, there's some funny, there's some some good stuff in the movie. Yeah, more than any other Pune film I've seen, it actually does deliver on a on a baseline uh, endearing level of craft when it comes to the action scenes. Mm-hmm. Just avoid the sequels. Um, two really puts the whole chase movie structure to account for low budget really pushes that about as far as it can go it's mostly just a brand new character running around an Arizona desert yeah I will I will avoid it per, per recommendation I'm probably gonna watch it at some point <laughs> I think it's funny how like <laughs> Kale was like, "I want to avoid it," and Hector's like, "Yeah, I'm on that. <laughs> I'm on that. Yeah, just because you said I feel it, like Kale, we, I'm on it." For a Christmas episode, we got to do Silent Night, Deadly Night, one through five. All of us. That that's what we got to do. Silent Night, Deadly Night, one through in five. the chamber, just marathon it. I mean, we're yeah, only having two because two is just mostly just clips from one. As flashbacks, which I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. But apparently, like in the eighties, you could just like have kids like look at things and then have them be flashbacks in the <laughs> movie. Yeah. 
Well, you know, there are no rules in cinema, so you can, you know, that, that was the that was the, the commentary that was being uh, uh, pushed forward. With and those there are no rules in the city, especially in New Jack City. Oh, oh, are we are we are we uh, skipping? It, good, good transition. But are we skipping? Are we skipping a few? Oh wait, wasn't that the last one? I'm sorry, did I skip? It was Wishmaster and Walker. But... Oh, I skipped Wishmaster. Oh my god, that was not my wish. I'm dead. But that was not my wish. Um, shit. I thought I forgot about Walker too. Um, but yeah, so Wishmaster. Um, so Wishmaster was what happens when Freddy Krueger needs another career. Yeah. Well, it becomes very apparent the sort of the charm of Wishmaster is it's very apparent that the film is a respected special effects artist cashing in every favor he's earned. Um, yeah, but only at the beginning and end. The middle is just some boring exposition shit. That's the problem. It's pretty bad, but not brain scan tier. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> No, the beginning and end are actually good. Well, I haven't seen the beginning. I never saw the beginning because I came in late. I'm told that the first 10 minutes are very good. Yeah, they were. First 10 minutes are very good. I mean, it takes place centuries before, so it's more like... So I'm assuming the Wishmasters in, like, 1400s, like, granting <laughs> wishes. I'm making air quotes here. And then, like, killing people. But, and then at the end, he does the same thing to, like, teenagers and then kills them in gruesome ways. But yeah, yeah like the, the last 30 minutes of this film are outstanding, like just dumb horror bullshit, like just really good, like gruesome. Like bringing a statue of an ancient Iranian god to life in order to murder people. <laughs> my, favorite, yeah. <laughs> my favorite kill, though, was the one that actually takes out the director of the film which was the piano wires coming to life. Oh, yeah, no, that was awesome. And I'm glad that he, like, was a good enough sport to do that to himself. He knew what the best kill was. That was awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, like, it's just the middle <laughs> is tedious. It's They had nothing to fill in between the beginning and the end. Yeah. And apparently there were, like, five of these. Yeah, the third directed by Chris Angel. <laughs> Don't tell our producer. Yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> he, he might have a... Uh, he doesn't uh, like this. He does not like yeah. the mind freak. No, he might have a panic attack on air. Uh, we, don't, yeah. we, don't, we don't want that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of little horror Easter eggs I can prod out of Wishmaster, but I think we can just... Um, but yeah, it's actually like I I enjoyed most of what I saw. I just thought the second act was kind of slow, but the third act was awesome. Like all the kills were great. Like I thought, like Robert Englund, England, whatever the fuck, had a lot of fun with it. So <laughs> it's kind of like a resume for um, Robert Kurtzman, who's the director, and is as I mentioned a huge deal in horror effects because he goes absolutely insane with the different creature effects in this film. Yeah, that, that does make sense with the way they play out, so. <laughs> yeah, it looks like right. when you look at what movies he's been on in terms of, like, effects and makeup and stuff, he's, like, been on a ton of 
you know, renowned uh, and reclaimed like horror classics. He's, he's still going. I mean, yeah. he started with Day of the Dead, which is a high water mark. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I I enjoyed this overall. Like I got a little bored in the second act, but the end paid off like a motherfucker. So I do recommend this. Like it gets a little boring, but trust that if you watch, you will get your money's worth. Yeah, yeah, I think I uh there I were some some was, cool wishes. Said, did this turn into a giallo at one point where <laughs> This one chick just like has a death scene where it's yeah. like against like a blood red like fucking background. And yeah. So yeah. I uh So yeah. now we're gonna go into the Alex Alex Cox Walker, which I did not have the chance to see, unfortunately, which is one of the ones I'm really sad that I did not have a chance to see. But uh this was from uh Razumov, who is not with us today. But the yeah. The film that cost Alex Cox his studio director gig. Which is uh, weird, because he seemed to be trying to cost himself that every time he made a fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, he approached he approached Universal with make, wanting to make a film about William Walker. And granted, he goes above and beyond in terms of making it a ridiculously on-the-nose satire. I mean, I was actually talking to Kale about this before we went on air, about how I thought Sid Nancy was kind of like a trash movie that fetishized a trash person. Yeah, I haven't seen Sid and Nancy. It doesn't particularly interest me. Yeah, it's it's not particularly interesting. But Alex Cox is much more in his bag when um, taking down a figure like William Walker. Um, it sounded super interesting. I was really into it, and I didn't get a chance to see it, unfortunately, due to circumstances. But uh, yeah, so it's it, it features a unhinged, wonderful Ed Harris. Well, that is the best kind of Ed Harris. That was the only thing good about Westworld, first of all. Yeah, and Ed Harris is. Was incredibly passionate about very and you know <laughs> very fuck Westworld. I'm very on you know topic about saying that fuck Westworld. The only good thing about Westworld is Ed Harris. So uh, yeah, only good was, thing about Forrest Gump was Ed Harris. So. Yeah, he was uh, he was excellent in in uh, this movie. Yeah, um, there's there, there is a just um, remarkable level. Of, uh, of uh, un unsubtlety, <laughs> the opposite of subtlety, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's it, very blunt. It, it's played for for laughs most of the time, so I think it gets away with it. It's a very angry film, but it yeah. dials up the absurdity enough to keep it from just being sort of preachy. The scene where he like turns on all his advisors at the lunch table or whatever is. Uh, is definitely. Like, I feel like that. that's the best mode for him, though. I feel like that's why his character in Westworld worked. I feel like that's why his character in Forrest Gump worked. I feel like that's why it, like his general mode works. <laughs> yeah, I think what really sells the film, not to spoil too much, because this film is pretty hard to find. I mean, everything's on the title today, but this film's pretty hard to find. So I'm imagining. 
Uh, a lot of people maybe haven't seen it. Um, two of the things that really sell the film is there's a bunch of hilarious anachronisms in the film that sort of, of course, serve a broader metaphor that's made very obvious by the closing credits. Mm. But the film sort of gradually introduces um, things like a Newsweek magazine, and I won't spoil some of the more insane ones that really sort of bring the distinguish the film as being one of one. And I think what really sells the film is just Ed Harris delivering all of these hollow monologues, deadpan about bringing democracy to Nicaragua while the entire film just descends into hell. Yeah. yeah. Like, like after he tries to get a, after he uh, almost gets assassinated uh, and he like, he, he's saved by his like book or something or something where he, he's saved and he, he decrees it that he was only saved because it's his destiny to, uh, to, to bring democracy to this, you know, backwater uh, nation that, you know, wouldn't exist otherwise without him essentially. Uh, so there's, they're, they're definitely dialing it up. Yeah, I mean, the whole film's just an absurd decline to hell. Um, Much like America. Yeah, <laughs> Alex Cox would agree. And it pretty much destroyed its career, but of course that gives... Much like America. Gives its own voyeuristic appeal to watching the film. Yeah. And... It's pretty hilarious. I wonder if, like, if this is just going to be destined to live in, like, small corners of the internet, which it probably will be. Uh, yeah, I can see Netflix putting it this one. So that probably means it will. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, Universal were furious about the film. And with the exception of a Criterion release that's over 10 years old. Surprised they actually did it, by the way. Yeah. It's not really a publicly available film otherwise. The only way to see it, besides downloading it, is to purchase it from Criterion's website. Uh, That's how much Universal hated the thing. Hopefully Universal doesn't do their own Space Jam equivalent and we see William Walker. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, where, where's William Walker and Space Jam and New Hope or whatever? Like <laughs> the um, I think the main tale of what type of person Alex Cox is is that he got Joe Strummer to do the soundtrack for this, which must have costed I don't know, like that that definitely hit the budget of this movie, and like the soundtrack is like pretty nondescript, I say, I would say. Like, it's just there. Yeah, although the drum machine programming is at least on rhythm as opposed to the clashes cut the crap. <laughs> well, there is, yeah, yeah. This time. the score yeah. for this movie is like, uh, is I always thought to be like intentionally ridiculous. Like, it's, it's just all over, it's all over the place and like just. I mean, every post-semester no like, release should be co- 
the the clashes cut the crap or a pop smoke fucking like uh with <laughs> drinking down like that should be every like they're, they're gonna put they're gonna put the uh the pop smoke songs that were mixed in an attic for this new album that just dropped on uh, over the walker uh <laughs> over the walker score <laughs> Wyatt, that new, that new pop, that quote unquote new pop smoke album is on principle a one out of five. By the way, uh, it's a real, it's a real, uh, <laughs> it's just literally the most like assemble. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard an album like cut and pasted like that since like the third Triple X uh, <laughs> album after he died. Jaw on drums. <laughs> it was unbelievable that that uh, we we got this. This album. Uh, in you listen to this airport. on YouTube instead. You get just Pop Smoke featuring Extentacion and Lil Peep, uh, <laughs> right? But all, all and Chris Brown. That's all, all years after, years after death, when they're just you know we found these, we found these vocals in a closet somewhere. <laughs> Let's yeah. put them out, guys. Oh. So, Alex Cox is exceedingly Gen Xer or older sort of punk ideals which can be a bit grating but walker alongside repo man of course mm-hmm. are some of the more interesting films he's done and i can promise you that walker is a comedy that is incomparable to any other. I thought Rape of Man was cool, but it was a little, like, incongruous. I mean, I, I probably need to watch it again. I saw it, like, 15 years ago. I probably need to watch it again. I thought it was a little incongruous. Like, I don't really remember it like that. <laughs> I reach for Walker more, because I actually think... I think the final um, segment... Uh, the segment in the film where... Everything is fully gone to apocalyptic shit. And wow. the oh, reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's probably the most artful filmmaking that he's done the last mm-hmm. twenty to thirty minutes of the film. Um so it's the one I reach for it more than even Repo Man. Uh if you can engage with it on your own terms, it's uh Highly interesting watch. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel right. like it's something that would improve uh, with with repeated viewings uh, as well. It was it was kind of disorienting the first time, but it, it is quite funny. Yeah, I didn't see it. I'll check for it. I Repo Man. I've not seen in fifteen years. It felt incongruous from what I remember, but I will check for it again. So my mistake on memory, but. All right, uh, moving on with the list. Since last time I tried to move on with the list, I was wrong. But this time we we we've, we've hit it. <laughs> probably yeah, the most probably the most well known movie. Uh, I well, one of the two most well known movies. Um, right, the most referenced yeah. movie for sure. Yeah, not least of which by Chris Rock himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah, um, I actually, going into this movie, thought this was a, like, prestige movie. It is, in fact, not a prestige movie. Um, it's, it's not great. Um, New Jack City. Wesley Snipes wears a lot of, um, hats and outfits in this film. 
And Wesley Snipes' turtlenecks are wonderful. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, the the turtlenecks with the beret and sunglasses is just a look. Uh, it's a look that very few people that don't that aren't Wesley Snipes will be able to pull off. <laughs> but he does. Also, Hector, I want to ask you: Does this is so? New Jack City is directed by uh, Mario Van Peebles, who I want to pick your brain because you mentioned this many times during our rewatch here. Uh, you were you were really enjoying Mario Van Peebles giving himself the role that he did. So what what was so what was so great about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Mario Van Peebles plays like the um, the boss of this police task task force, I guess. And he's just like, you know, Ice-T is supposed to be like this rock cop who doesn't play by the rules and all of that. And mm-hmm. uh, Mario and Peebles just like has to calm him down every time. And he has to be the voice of reason. And, you know, given like the, the postscript and like the whole like message of the movie, I thought that was like really, I, I, maybe that was like the most entertaining thing from the movie to me, which says more about me than anything, but... Uh, I, I just I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it, it is. It is the postscript is like, "Hey, we're gonna we're just gonna feed you guys more of this." It was like yeah, I yeah. forgot I forgot that it was there. Yeah, it's 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 silly. This movie is silly, feeding you something thinks this conscience conscious, but is ultimately very silly. That's what I get out of this. Yeah, I, I do want to say because I, 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 I yeah, think when people should say it, like, and yeah, it sounds bad when I say it, and it's gonna come back and bite that, bite me in the ass. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I like the way it's, it's shot. Like, I, I really appreciate that that it's ambitious like that. Like, it, it has Dutch angles, and like the cutting is like very distinct, and it's all for like this. Uh, Estilized like vision of the world, which is funny because like the the message of the movie seems to like run counter to it. Like mm. it, it, I will like the their their directing is glorifying Nino Brown and like the 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 screenplay hates Nino Brown. So that's also I don't and know I, I don't know what that's that about. The dialogue is very silly, but I do think there are some striking shots in it. Ultimately, the message is. Like, I don't know, the dialogue is clumsily written, but I think the message is strong in a way. I don't know, like, it's compromised. I think it had to be compromised to get made. A little bit. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think there are some, I mean, there are some undeniable scenes in it. You know, the scene, uh, which is, of course... um, which is now the GIF, uh, but uh, you know Wesley Snipes, you know killing his killing his friend with a tear running down his cheek. Obviously, that's a uh, that's immortal, immortalized for sure. Like yeah. it's resonant, yeah, yeah, like, it's immortalized like, on, yeah. on the internet. And there's there are obviously, I mean, this was a extremely referenced movie in in rap music and, and has been for a while. You know, less so probably these days, but it's had a long, long shelf life of being referenced in, in uh, rap music. Um, yeah, so, there, I mean, even the opening, I, I really like the uh, the bit where Chris Rock is getting chased down by Ice-T, and they're going, they're going through, um, 
you know, different parts of the city and yeah. down the yeah. stairs. Like, I feel like that didn't actually hit now for us watching it like it did then. Like, I'm kind of thinking about that now and being like, that probably hit real different then. Like, I was five years old then. I didn't see that now. Like, you weren't born then. Like, right. I mean, I'm being real condescending saying that now to y'all then. Like, but that had to be saying something different than just, like, put that on screen to people. Yeah. Well, it came out the same year as uh, Boys in the Hood, so there was definitely a. Uh, I feel like that, and those two films being, you know, uh, commercially successful. Definitely, Boys in the Hood. Um, I believe this film was commercially successful, but I'm not sure. It was. I uh, think it was. I think okay. it was, like just getting it like in yeah. like a whole like it was commercially distributed. It was commercially successful. Yeah, I believe it was. So. So I imagine I imagine that was big for. I mean, at the time, '91, you weren't seeing a lot of. Uh, uh, films with you know predominantly uh, black casts and, and 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 you know not portraying I mean in some cases Boys in the Hood different movie but you know uh, putting a human humanity in settings that you know pretty they're still telling these stories scene. like they're just telling these stories that weren't being told period so right and then there's a and like I said there's like an empathy to it uh, as well so yeah yeah so it's just. Like it seems corny to us now, but this wasn't being said then. Yeah, you can't take away from it as a cultural fixture. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't think it's. A, I think it's a, like an enjoyable movie, but I'm not. You know, I probably wouldn't reach for it. I much mean, though. we just look at like Wesley Snipes wearing like a fucking Benetton like fucking blanket on his head and like it looks stupid but it does but you know there's more to the movie than that <laughs> yeah and he and there's a, there's an unbridled level of self-assuredness and cool with Wesley Snipes in this movie that makes it really attractive and really like um magnetizing I think <laughs> so that's pretty much my thoughts on it I heard uh, Chris Rock saying, this is some New Jack City shit, and the trailer for his Saw film was not very well received. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that happened. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I've heard uh, he's regressed a bit as a dramatic actor, but I'm not sure yeah, how heard he is in the Jack. It was supposed to be trash. Um <laughs> I know, I know that Saw movie is received as trash. I know that much. Yeah. Um. I wonder if we get more more movies from the from the book of Saw. <laughs> that was one of the most laughable attempts I've seen recently, of um, trying to soft reboot an IP. Yeah, I mean, so but it's. It's respectable. It's like prestige. So, it's prestige. Prestige. Oh my god. Oh, that's that's sadder than the coronavirus. Oh my god. Oh, fuck. New Jack Pres City from the Book of Saw. From the Book of Saw. <laughs> oh man. Are there uh, are there titles you guys are hoping end up being on the uh, on on the circuit? Well, I, mean, I know our producer hopes that Godzilla versus whatever the fuck ends up there sometimes. Also, Veggie Tales. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, I, I really wanted the... to watch the Hip Hop Witch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shout out to the Hood Pope. 
Um, the hip hop witch. I'm sorry, not the hood pope. Uh, <laughs> the hood pope would be um, who's the hood pope? Yeah, uh, there is a there is a mixtape with the hood pope that that has happened. Jacob uh, Lamont, I believe, was the hood pope. ASAP Ferg called himself the hood pope. Yeah, he, he did. So. Um, but yeah, um, I know that our producer hopes that we get some Veggie Tales on the. On movie night, and also I've got a, I've got a few in the chamber. Uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping for Freddy. You know, I'm always hoping for Freddy. <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. topic, on the topic of Silent Night, Deadly Night, too, just reusing footage. Uh, there's this Taiwanese director who worked in the Hong Kong film industry, called Kevin Chu, who made a bunch of sort of triad films that would reuse footage and have these sort of dissonant genre shifts because of it, because he'd reuse clips of a horror film and his martial arts film and stuff like that. And his wildest film, uh, I pitched it before, but it doesn't really have name recognition. So uh, that sort of hurts at winning the ballot. But I'm polling for a film of his called Fantasy Mission Force, which is kind of a dirty dozen knockoff, but one that shifts genres practically every ten minutes, and is one of the that wilder. It's one of the wilder semi-exploitation films I've seen. I mean, I always I, I put both Spring Breakers and Killer Season out there recently, both some of my favorite films for different reasons, and they'd be great to riff on. Um, Spring Breakers, I think, is a genuinely great film. Killer Season, I think, is not a genuinely great film, but will be fun to just watch. So, you know, shout out to Killer Season, no homo. But uh, <laughs> definitely shout out to shout out to Killer Season. I was going to say uh, for, for each of you, because one thing, and it's also sort of for the audience, you know, uh, we've discussed in the past of wanting to do, you know, we want to do more of like film content on, on the, uh, the show every now and then. And, um, you know, more of like general uh, film episodes and stuff. And we were thinking of like, you know, directors to, you know, to double bill basically like grindhouse style as like to, to do an episode on and, what would be like a couple that each of you would be interested in, in hearing or, or, or being on yourself? Hmm. I think he's got too many movies, but I think a few, a whole Pune cast, a whole podcast hmm. episode about Albert Pune would be worthwhile. Is there After like hearing about the previous thing that you discussed? I'd actually be down for some Pune, you know, Pune me up. <laughs> Pew me up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm down for some alt. Like, I suggest Altman before, although I know it's kind of long winded, but, you know, I, I've suggested Altman. Like, um, but that's, I don't know what we would pick, but I suggested Altman, so. Yeah, I mean, we've, I've, we, there, there's a, there's a ton of, like, uh, I'm sure there's a. I suggested McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I've suggested uh, California Split. I've suggested a bunch of Altman. So I've suggested Altman, but 
Sure. He's, he's really emphasizing that he suggested all of them. <laughs> I have said that like seven times in the past second, like 30 seconds. 30 so. seconds. Obviously, yes. Yeah, it would be, it would be, I, I very much love Robert Altman's film. I would be down, but we'll, we'll see. The other one is, I don't know if any of you have seen films from Saijun Suzuki. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I figured Hector might have. Um, he was um, <laughs> sort of like Alex Cox. He had plenty sort of movies that were sort of a revolt against um, the studio system, but more so stylistically. Yeah, that that Nikatsu era from like the sixties, where they had all these directors working for them, and none of them were making them any money. But uh, that era, I find really interesting to read about. So yeah, definitely So I don't know if anyone here has seen Branded to Kill, but on a from a style standpoint. Oh, there's the, one other dude. Hang on, one second. Um, keep talking. I'm gonna look up this one guy. One second. I mean, it's a very visual. Branded to Kill has these sort of indelible images that I can't really put into words. But probably the greatest endorsement I can give is that it has been cited as an influence by Jarmusch, John Woo. Tarantino and Chan Wook Park. That's a that's a hell of a uh, uh, four to be endorsed by you. Yeah, citing personally uh, impacted this by guy, your film. Tom Schiller. I uh, looked up somebody recognized um, recommended him on RYM. He's been like lost by everybody apparently, and um, so yeah, I've been trying to find his films. They're very hard to find. Tom Schiller, and uh, he's a uh, independent. Filmmaker. So, Hector, you got anybody real quick? Yeah, it would be Kiyoshi Kurosawa or Toby Hooper because mm. they're oh, direct- for sure. yeah, directors that I find like really uh, thematically relevant to mm. like. The I love Toby Hooper. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Kiyoshi Kurosawa also amazing director, mm. really underseen. I think I already named him, name dropped him once in this podcast, but I think he most people, more people should see him. I love uh, Charisma, the one about the mystery tree. Yeah, the tree, yeah. <laughs> great movie. Yeah, of, of course, uh, Cure and Pulse are instant classics. Yeah, everyone should see Pulse, definitely, I think. All right, Hector, Zach, it's been wonderful having you. Uh, Caleb, always, you know, good having you as my co-host because you're here. You have to be whether you, whether or not you like it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we are living off borrowed time. Until next time, the balcony is closed. It ain't gonna never stop. 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 It ain't gonna never stop.
time is yet to be conquered by man. But when the time is right, perhaps the greatest revelation of all time will dawn upon us.